Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. Whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or wherever and whenever you have the time to get updated. So, are you ready? Let's get into it. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Market Bites. Uh, Please do remember to like, share, subscribe if you're on YouTube. We've got a really interesting uh, podcast episode coming up this time out. Josh is away living the dream in Ibiza right now. Uh, So I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, the man that makes it all happen. I have to say, Toro's very own editor-in-chief, Matty Alon, joins us today. Matty's got over 22 years experience as a value investor equity analyst and has also ran an equity fund for many years matty firstly how are you doing i'm okay sam uh but come on i wouldn't make it happen the old day just an invest without you so don't fla- don't flatter me too much but no, uh, no, yeah, i'm excited really really excited and also jealous that uh, josh uh, probably drinking a good, uh, I don't know, tequila or something, wherever yeah. he is. Well, I spoke to yeah. him yesterday in the morning and he said, uh, well, he didn't reply to the afternoon because he was very hungover. So he's having a good time at least. Um, on the podcast today, then, uh, we're going to focus on two topics. Uh, the first one, we're going to have a look at Disney, which of course recently just hit a multi-year low closing price, uh, trading at $81 on Tuesday's close. And the second topic for us, we're going to focus on cyclical investing. Um, so first up then, Disney, Matty, talk us through your process of how you would look at this. Obviously, coming from a background as a value investor, I feel like you're potentially the perfect guest for us right now. <laughs> Thank you kindly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I will describe the process I went through to present my uh, perspective on the company. Although you didn't give me many days to do it, but uh, it, it was a fair challenge. Uh, so it is fair to say that the Disney report is quite messy and messy in a way that it's a big company. It's complicated. It has a lots of uh, segments, lots of changes uh, came through. We'll discuss them today. Uh, so, so that there was a lots of one time. Uh, adjustment that I will need to take and therefore uh, I hope that I will be able to simplify it um, you know tr- talking about uh, the company uh, and making it accessible for the listeners so to begin with I will always in any company that someone will ask me about I will you know concentrate on my uh, what I call top five, uh, as the quickest way to just to see, you know, the, the, the sort of the big picture. 
for me, the top five is the revenue, the gross margin, earning before tax, and obviously free cash flow and debt. That is the balance sheet we want to see the health. So basically, sort of looking at operation and the health of the uh, financial stabilities. In addition to that, we need to remember one thing uh, regarding Disney and any other companies. Uh, for the listener, when you do analysis now, you always need to remember that what happened with the COVID-19, mm. it got everything messed up, right? I mean, valuation uh, went uh, way different. And then we saw like a crazy pent up demand. Uh, which led many investors to have a sort of euphoria phase and pushing a lot of companies to valuation that I don't think has been seen for many decades. Uh, and then the opposite, right? So it, it seems like if you try to look at an average, the average is, it doesn't make any sense. So what I suggest and basically what I'm doing and I did for Disney is looking at pre-COVID uh, averages. So, for example, 2017, 2018, and maybe 2019, uh, and, and then looking at today. Uh, so, so that's you know sort of my top five that I will take a look at. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Um, I'm going to ask everyone on YouTube right <laughs> now. Let us know what you think about Disney now and at the end of the episode. Uh, be really interested whether people think it's a buy, it's a hold, it's a sell, it's a leave alone. Really interested to see. You mentioned those five metrics, Matty. I love them. Let's have a, a look at those in a little bit more detail then. Yeah, sure. And and also it's fair to say to our listeners on the podcast, I mean, should you have any question, reach out yes. to Sam or me on Twitter or whatever you want. We love to speak about those things. Uh, so yeah, for the top five, so we'll start with the company revenue. So w- what we can see is pretty straightforward growth from, uh, 2018, where they showed $60 billion in revenue. Mm-hmm. The last 12 months, we can see it's jumped to $88 billion. Uh, however, if you go next uh, to gross margin, we see a big shrinkage from 46% for the same period to 33% in the last 12 months. Uh, shifting also to the earning before tax, which is, you know, I always say you, you need something to go to the supermarket with. It. <laughs> you don't go with revenue, you go with profits and stuff like that, right? I mean, obviously in, in cash flow, you need pure cash flow, but let's just look at the earning before tax. And I had the adjusted one, by the way, I, I took mm-hmm. some one time the stuff and event. And what we see is really a, a big decrease from 25% uh, margin uh, to 7.6% margin uh, in the last 12 months. So it's down from 15 billion to 16.7 billion. And then, as I said, let's, uh, you know, look at the real money we take into the bank and this is the free cash flow. I didn't get into like a really deep dive analysis because for that, I would need to spend a few weeks, not uh, just a day. Uh, but uh, what I did is try to really simplify it. And this is, by the way, a place that our listeners can always start with. And it's just looking at the operating cash flow, less capex. Now, for me, operating cash flow, I always uh, try to do it before changes in, uh, uh, you know, in all the inventory and stuff like that. 
So when looking at these numbers, what you can see in 2018, the company showed $9.8 billion, which is a really, really impressive number, uh, but it crashed down to $2.85 billion in the last 12 months. So obviously we can see a decrease. Now, uh, last but not least, obviously, is the debt. As we said, we want to look at the balance sheet. And with Disney, uh, we need to remember it's sort of a uh, partly asset-heavy company, so it needs to invest a lot in all, all sort of team parts and machineries and stuff like that. So you always need to invest a lot of capex within it. So you want to be careful if the company is managing uh, this operation from um, you know, from the equity and from what the profit it making and not from debt. But uh, with Disney, what we can see is that the debt, uh, net debt, obviously, which is the uh, long-term and short-term uh, debt, less uh, cash, uh, less cash on the balance sheet, uh, it went up from 17 to 41 billion. Now, on the first hand, you may think that the jump in the debt, and some of it, it is, it was due to COVID, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it's 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 not uh, Disney fault, right? But it is Disney's problem. Yes, you cannot argue with it. I mean, obviously, it is a problem, and uh, you needed to be afloat to survive this uh, situation. You have employees, you have many many things that you need to, in, uh, you know, spend money on. So they did took some uh, debt in addition to that. But the main reason for the jump in the debt, and this is something I guess not many people uh, looked at, is the company uh, did a massive investment before COVID uh, of an IP portfolio acquisition, uh, which we will talk uh, shortly about. Um, so basically, if you look at all those things, I mean, I'll let you summarize what you think about it. I mean, well, well I mean, for, for me, it's fascinating. I mean, some really interesting and, and valuable numbers, something that I, I admit I had to be surprised I didn't know about. And the chart, by the way, is very, very interesting. So you've given me an idea with all of this. I think a trader talks is, is due for Walt Disney, uh, which <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll put in preparation over the, the coming weeks. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. Some interesting numbers. And it's a good point talking about COVID there because it really just threw a spanner in the works uh, with all the averages and everything like that. But, I mean, how would you, from here, sort of move to value? What's the next step after these numbers? Yeah, so, so I, I mean, you know, I, I, I'll i take it straightforward. Uh, uh, valuation can be split into two, right? Mm-hmm. The really heavy one, which obviously I will do as well. And this is the try to really determine what's the earning power of the company over the cycle and then uh, do some uh, uh, discounted cash flow to really understand what it's the intrinsic value, but over the long term. However, you know, not everybody knows how to do this valuation. So what I did is just went to some industry standard that many people are uh, talking about, and it's commonly, so uh, it's also looking at the average. So I use just a simple multiple valuation method uh, just to see where we stand. So also the listeners will, you know, get it easy to mm-hmm. understand that. Uh, so 
Presently, I mean, the share price, as you said, it's at a multi-year low. Amazing to think that it's at $80 yeah. uh, compared to an average of $106 in 2017 to 2018. So, I, I mean, it's really interesting that it trades way back and below that. Uh, that's on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, it's like down heavily from yeah. the peak we saw in 2000. Uh, one and by itself, and this is something I wanted to point out to the listeners. You know, it's like, oh wow, it's cheap. I mean, Disney grew. Mm. We see the revenue growing, but the company is cheaper than seven years ago. Uh, it's not always like that, and we need to remember that what we care about in a company is, is obviously is the is the valuation, the value of the price of the company, but relative to the valuation of the yeah. business, to what's the business making as a profit, as I said. Uh, but what we can see is that aside from revenue, all other numbers are in a meaningful decline and we see a massive debt load. So you may think that, okay, the market uh, makes sense, what we can see. Uh, so... Let's just look at the, you know, simple one, the EV2 EBITDA, what we can see in 2017 to 2018. Uh, it was 10x uh, versus 2023, which is the last uh, 12 months. I'm sorry. The, actually, if you take the last 12 months, it's now trading at 11.5. Yeah. So it's funny. On the one hand, we have a company that the share price is lower almost in 25% less than five or six or seven years ago. But the valuation of the company from fundamental perspective is higher. Okay, so so it, it's like a mind-blowing match, but the real reason for that is because the deterioration in the value of the net profit and margin of the company, and I wish we could share, uh, you know, the graph you and I looking at to, we'll tweet to it see out. how it looks like. Yeah, we we can tweet it out, but definitely uh, something to look at. So there is a reason why I use EV to EBITDA ratio instead of, for example, free cash flow valuation, because I didn't count it in my top five, aside from explaining that this is sort of an industry average, and this is mainly because that uh, uncover beneath the surface, something only can be found if you really open the, you know, mm. the uh, security and exchange filings from Disney, which really break it down to detail of the segment and within the segment, sub-segment to understand what's going on. So we can see that one of the changes that happened is that and we, we talked about it before. In 2019, Disney made a massive investment uh, of almost 60, almost 70 billion dollar uh, in a cash and share acquisition to buy 21st yeah. uh, Century Fox. So they increased their exposure to Hulu from 30 percent to 60 percent. Um, and this deal by itself in 2019, before COVID was the reason for the large increase in the debt, okay? And this was also the contribution for the growth in revenue. Obviously, if you spend money and you get another company and this company having revenue, so uh, immediately you enjoy it. Uh, and this was one of the main, uh, I would say, move of Disney 
to the new strategy of uh, uh, DTC, which is direct to consumer. Uh, if you may, Netflix, which I guess our ni- listener uh, understand, strategy of pushing uh, the content. However, if we'll take all of this uh, together, so although we saw a revenue growth, what we see when we drill to the report is a really massive hit to uh, the bottom line, and that's because the DTC uh, shows an unprofitable uh, result. So if I remember right, it was around like $4 billion in a lot. So this is massive for the company. Um, so what do we need to make out of it? We need to split it down because Disney is pretty complicated. And why I'm saying split it down? We have the famous uh, theme parks and, and, and merchandise and stuff like that, which we all enjoy. And we need to look at that because this is heavy part of the business. And then we have all the network and the investment they did in IP and also in, in all the DPC to see to understand how this business look like. So it may get a bit complicated now, but I'll try to simplify it. When we look at the Disney park, I was pretty impressed to see that the margin are up since 2019 and uh, also 2018. And we see that it's continued growing even into this quarter and in the past nine months. And it's really impressive because taking into mind that we have this very high inflation, we would think, wait, who can go and uh, buy uh, such a high ticket because they also increase prices and everything. But I guess people do it. However, the media network segment shows a drop from 30% operating margin to 7.6%. And as I mentioned, if you drill within the media segment, you see that the DTC is the main reason for that. And by the way, under the DTC, you have the Disney Plus, you have Hulu, and you have ESPN. And all the three of them in 2022 showed a decline. Uh, So you can understand the mix uh, result and you can understand why the market has like, you know, two-sided of investor. Uh, but then there is the question what you make out of all of this, right? I, I mean, you need to, to think how you can move forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one. And I have to say, when I asked you to, to have a look at Disney, uh, I didn't think it would be as complicated as this because there's many sides to this story, you know, when painting the picture. Uh, and again, I'm going to uh, invite people watching on YouTube. Let us know your thoughts on Disney uh, at the moment. Is it a value opportunity? Is it something that interests you or are you maybe watching from the sidelines? Um, I guess in just sort of wrapping up our, our part on Disney, Matthew, what are you, what are you making out of this at the moment? I mean, I, I, I didn't give you too long to do all your analysis. So I do appreciate uh, all the work you did for it. Uh, yeah, Sam, it's a fair point. I mean, I've, as you said, I will need more than just like a short time to, to go over it because of the complexity. But while, and, and it's important, but I, there is a, a really interesting point that you can see a lot of brights in, in, in the company, uh, maybe turnaround success. Uh, while I prefer not to rely solely on one quarter result, it's worth noting that in Q3, the DTC reduced meaningfully its operation loss. And while the park segment uh, showed positive uh, growth continue, 
considering the uh, high inflation challenges. Uh, so after, we, uh, you know, I, I just tried instead of just giving any valuation first, we can't because uh, it's not our job to do it. But just to give the way we look at it, I just went through some valuation of mm. trends and trying to understand the bull and bear case, right? As an analyst, I will always try to find the short valuation if I'm looking for a long to see yes. if I can answer uh, uh, the question. And what I've noticed is that Disney really have divided bull bear case, uh, which center largely on the DTC success uh, and the ongoing bull structuring that they still have. By the way, I think the most recent report uh, uh, Bobby Harris said that they're on the way to achieve, uh, you know, a cost-cutting uh, saving of $5.5 billion, which is uh, impressive and massive, but we will need to see if they manage to do it. And obviously, if the DTC will work, so you need to take a look at that. So this perspective makes sense because if DTC fails, the valuation may seem high or fail, right? Uh, but success could indicate uh, uh, undervaluation. In my view, and summarizing it, uh, Disney is a remarkable company with a strong brand, uh, decent long foundation offering a substantial value. I mean, I don't think Disney is going nowhere. However, uh, brand is one thing. And valuation is other things. So the bet on the DTC, uh, the direct-to-consumer is substantial. And we need to remember we are in a very and high competitive environment uh, with Netflix, but also with Warner Brothers. Apple, the giant, and Google, the giant, are all fighting on the time screen that you and I and all people are, uh, uh, you know, standing on. So it's really hard to say. I, I wouldn't take side because I'm not enough. I don't have enough uh, uh, time spending to to make any decision here. But I would think that this is something that the investor really need to understand. Now, ultimately, it's about risk and reward, right? I mean, uh, in any way that we think about investing, an investor interested in Disney uh, must conduct a thorough analysis to decide their bullish or bearish settings uh, uh, above what I just described. Uh, so considering whether the current price aligns with the risk-reward appetite, I really recommend each one to do a deeper understanding before investing because... Obviously, it's a complicated company and it's not just a matter of, oh, wow, the price is uh, lower than five years ago. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's it. And, and just the, the, the evening before we recorded, uh, it had its lowest close since 2014. Uh, the COVID low uh, is 78.84, so touching distance away from where we are now. On that day, it did reverse quite a bit because of the volatility and such. But 
Interesting. But you're the technical analyst. What it means? I, I mean, do you see? Uh, it's in, uh, you remember you and I always was talking that you know we have the fundamental, but it's interesting to see also if the marketing the same from this perspective. I, um, I, I'm just curious what what you look at. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, ju- I'm, I'm going to base something about it, but it, you know, it, it's well, just this is it. This is why I, I want to do a uh, a trade talks on it, and I, because I mean, look, listen, we're potentially about to take out the covid low it's the lowest it's been for a while so on one hand that's quite interesting because the reward if it goes well could be big there's no guarantee it does but that's the first thing that interests me but what i would want to see is some positive momentum for it to start going higher that i now think okay other people are looking at this and then if we can break higher above a, a key resistance level where everyone would be looking previously to sell then sentiment can start changing. So there's a level which I'm sure other technical analysts are looking at around 85 bucks. If we can get back above there, sentiment can start to change. People start looking a little bit more positively on that. So that's how I would be looking at it. However, there's no guarantee it happens. It could keep going lower, but we're at an area now like Meta last year where people are starting to talk about it, aren't they? You've got some people saying, company's dead, leave it alone. And then on the other hand, you've got people saying, oh, I think this is a good opportunity. And, and of course, you know, I'm not comparing it directly to Meta, but that was a, a company you took advantage of yourself last year. And, you know, there would have been other people <laughs> online certainly saying, what? You're crazy. Why are you doing that? But it turned out to be a very good investment. Um, let's move on then. Topic number two, cyclical investing uh, i mean look, in, in essence cyclical investing refers to the performance of sector or, or companies that are greatly affected by economic cycles so for instance during recession industries like airlines hotels and restaurants they're tending to suffer which makes sense conversely in a high interest rate environment the housing and real estate markets often take a hit matty your your thoughts on um on, on cyclicals at the moment uh, yeah, I mean, as a contrarian value investor, this is probably one of my favorite investing places, right? You you want to be where there is a blood in the street. Uh, I know for some, it sounds, what do you mean? Uh, we don't want to be in a place that uh, we see in our recession or something like that. But, you know, I mean, that's a place you want to be as it creates a mismatch between valuation for a particular company and sometimes uh, to the industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah. And I I guess you're referring to financial markets and analysts tend to focus on the short term rather than the longer term. You know, if a company reports lower profits this quarter or its valuation may decrease accordingly because of that. However, look, a single quarter or year, you know, doesn't actually represent a company's long-term earning potential. Do, do you agree with all of that? No, of course, definitely. I mean, absolutely one of the main problems personally that I believe in, and I know many other value investors, obviously Warren Buffett talking about it a lot, is the uh, concentration on the short term. Uh, business is a business. Nothing happened in a business in one day. It takes a long time. What we just spoke about uh, Disney, right? I mean, it will take time until we will see the fruits of DTC, whether they will be successful or not. So, but the market is pricing what happened now. It's not pricing uh, uh, what, what will happen or the potential. Even if we touch Nvidia, I mean, obviously, yeah, the market is very positive on the long term, but it's already pricing it now. Yeah. 
I mean, time will tell if it was a buzz, if it was uh, uh, overestimated. Uh, we don't know yet, right? Uh, so even if a company, and we need to remember that in the cyclicals, has a strong brand and it has a very good management which aligned with the investor and competitive edge, uh, sudden changes like rapid increase in uh, what we saw in the mortgage rate. I think now in the US it sits at around 7.5% versus 3.5% within one year. I mean, right? It's insane. Uh, so this thing can hit any business in a specific field, especially for example, if we'll take the, uh, you know, the, the house developer. Uh, when looking at, at them, also in the US, in UK, Europe, you should assess how they perform uh, over the entire uh, cycle, right? And the reason you're going to do it is because you want to focus on the earning power and try to take out all the noise of what's going now, the same way you need to do when there is euphoria in the market. Because the way the stock market, and we all know it work, is that this same cyclical industry, when the cycle is positive, they're way overpriced. When the price, when the, when the cycle is against them, they're way over, uh, uh, underpriced. So you need to average. And you average two things. You average first what they make. Okay. Which, for specific companies like the the uh, housing developers is the return on equity. And if you look today, you see that they trading after they went down heavily, they're trading at uh, 20 to 40% lower than the average. And some of them even trading 40 to 50% lower than the peak. So obviously it's, it's, it, they're making way less. So as an investor, you are reasonably expect that based on historical patterns, their return on equity will eventually may return to industry norms. So rather relying solely on what's going on now, you need to think about the average. So okay. that's how I would look at that. Yeah, yeah. okay. How How would you then look at the valuation to determine whether it's worth it or ultimately it's not worth it? So basically I would take specifically in the developer two critical metrics, the one we just talked about, which is the return on equity. I would look at the average. I would not look at the low. I would not look at the peak. Uh, and I will take also the price to book value. Uh, the reason I will use the price to book value specifically in developers, uh, as we talk about this example, is that most of their assets are assets that they bought land or they're having some housing they started and they didn't finish. So, I mean, if the company will have problems selling those, so she will need to reduce prices. And if you reduce prices, you need to start doing some write-downs if you don't have enough buffer. So that caused the market uh, to be very negative on the whole industry as a whole. And what we can see all around the, the world, it can be US, UK, or even Europe, that the price to book value are down from 1.5%, uh, I'm sorry, 1.5 times uh, uh, to uh, 0.7. Okay, which means 
some companies, a lot of developers today trade that even if you break them down, you will make money because the, the net uh, asset value of the company is worth more. So what's the analyst basically or the market is saying is no, if you break them down, the value is not what you're going to get. So it's going to be way lower. So that's why they price them below that. Now, that's all about being contrarian, right? And you need to find the companies, and I do agree with the market, that can survive this specific situation. Because what we said, we're looking for companies that are strong uh, brand, companies that are, you know, have a strong management. But the most important thing I would look now, specifically in those uh, companies, I will try to find the companies that have two important things. First, a strong balance sheet, because no matter h- how uh, uh, you're good, you're a good brand. It's hard to sell when people uh, need to pay seven and a half percent mortgage, and uh, th- that's the one thing. And the second thing, you can go to the report and do a little bit deep dive to understand what was the uh, average time that they bought uh, their assets that they have on the balance sheet. So if some of them bought it in 2012, obviously, even if we will see decline, it's less likely that you will see some asset write down. Uh, so that's our two things. Uh, but obviously what I just said is not for everyone. Yeah. Not everyone are going to go drill down. And as we always say at eToro, and then I always encourage that. And even Warren Buffett encouraged that, that, you know, if you don't do, if you don't understand what you're doing, so just uh, diversified. He's mm-hmm. talking about the S&P 500. But for me, I mean, if you do believe in a strategy of cyclicals, you can always uh, explore, you know, uh, ETF uh, to that, that have the diversification for that. So, for example, let's say now we are entering a heavy recession. Usually mm-hmm. what happened in a heavy recession, we'll touch another cyclical, which is the airline, hospitality and restaurant. People consume less, people are spending less. Uh, and if they do it, so what happened, you're probably going to see the market crashing those yeah. cyclical to a very low level. However, ask yourself, 10 years from now, am I going to fly more? Am I going to go to a restaurant? Am I... So obviously, the, the, you know, the common sense uh, answer is yes. So if it's yes, it means that uh, it's the wrong cycle. The Federal Reserve, the bank, uh, central bank are fighting. So we will have better time. And I will just take Warren Buffett quote. I don't know what the market will do tomorrow, but for sure, 10 years time, it's probably going to be higher. So I would say you can say the same thing about cyclical, only you can get them much cheaper when everybody is afraid. So it's not an easy strategy. It's a hard strategy. It's a hard psychology thinking, right? Because the fact that yeah. it's down 50% doesn't mean it cannot go down another 20%. And we saw, for example, what happened to the housing market in 2008. I don't think we're even close to something to that. Um, but by the way, and I'll finish with that, that can be another a good thing to see which company survives in the developer, okay, in 2008. And if they survive then, I guess it will be hard for them not to survive now when we're not even near this type of a problem. So it's really a 
you know, taking advantage, but it's a lot of uh, risk-reward uh, assessment. So that's for the people that want to deep dive. But if you don't want to deep dive, yeah, you have the opportunities to take as a diversification the ETFs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great note to, to finish on. And then for anyone that's sort of made it to, to the back end of the podcast, you'd have to imagine that they've got a an interest in learning a little bit more yeah. about this and they found it interesting. And it is worth us saying at this moment that in October, uh, Matty and I will be back for the beginner to investor course that we do. And there were yeah, tens we of thousands it. of people that, that watched it last time. It's amazing. Time. It it's amazing. It's a, you know what blow my mind is that we had so, we had thousands of people that are not Etorians, yeah. which for me, it was amazing. Yeah. You don't have to be the customer, but come consume knowledge. Yeah. I mean, it's free. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that will be starting in October. That can be found on, on the website, all of that as well. Uh, but as, as we said, any questions, let us know. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, share, subscribe, and obviously for the podcast, give us a rating as well. Matty, thank you very much for, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. I hope I did uh, good. Probably not even close to Josh, but yeah. No, no, it was very, very good. And uh, thank you, everyone. And I will see you all next week. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.